Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to this special Best of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. All right, this is that weird week, that weird in-between week. So we have planned a week's worth of shows that include new content at the outset of each day, and then some of your favorite segments from the past year. So no headlines per se, but timeless equipping to keep us considering how the good news of great joy for all people, the gospel, actually influences how we walk our faith in Jesus out into the world that God so loves each and every day. So welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Now, it occurs to me that you might be listening today for the very first time. And if so, welcome. This Christmas may have been an eye-opening experience for you. You may have said to yourself, I want to know more about this Christian life thing. Somebody may have said, hey, you know, there's a really encouraging Christian radio station um, you can get it online at MyFaithRadio.com. You can listen on this thing on my phone called the Faith Radio app. Maybe you are tuned in to one of our live broadcast signals. Um, however you have arrived, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. My name is Carmen LaBerge. And you might be coming to this conversation as a brand new believer in Jesus or as a renewed believer in Jesus. If so, welcome. My heart thrills that Christmas has been for you a time when the great gift of God has been delivered. Um, So I am thrilled that you are enthroning Jesus as your Savior and Lord and that you have bowed at his major, major throne. Um, There's so much for us to talk about. There is so much I want to share. And so welcome to what we call Mornings with Carmen. We do this every single weekday, Monday to Friday from 6 to 8 a.m. Central Time. And you can listen however you're listening now. And you can also listen later Um, on demand at MyFaithRadio.com or via the Faith Radio app. All right, so now for the topic of the day. Um, Did you receive any gifts this year that you really didn't want? Well, let's go back a year. What did you even get for Christmas last year? Do you even remember? What did you get for Christmas last year? So um, I was recently with, I mean, this this goes back like a month, but it was with um, some of my grandkids and One asked the other, hey, um, I gave you those walkie-talkies last year for Christmas. Did you enjoy them? And he just looked like stunned, like walkie-talkies? I got walkie-talkies? I mean, that sounds pretty cool, but I totally don't remember that, and I've never played with them. I don't have those. Like, hmm. So sometimes we get so many gifts that we forget the gifts we give, and that's not really honoring to the person who took the time and spent the money to give them to us. It also, you know, probably means it was something we didn't really need. So let's talk today about the gifts we have received, not only the physical ones uh, over Christmas, but the spiritual ones. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights above. Um, What gifts have you received from God over the course of the past year? Did you unwrap them? Do you even remember what they are? 
There's lots of wrapping paper. There's lots of trash. There's boxes and bows. People compete for our appreciative responses at the gift exchange. But even, you know, three or four days out, maybe a week out since you exchanged gift with, gifts with a group of people, I mean, think hard. Do you actually know what you got for Christmas? Maybe, just maybe, if you were particularly blessed, you received the precious gift of the presence of another person, the physical presence of another person who gave you their love, their time, their hospitality, their friendship, the gift of their physical, emotional, and spiritual presence. That is actually what Christmas is all about. We're going to talk about unwrapping the ultimate Christmas present next. That's the gift of the presence of the living God. We call him Emmanuel. ultimate Christmas present is actually uh, not one that comes in a box with tissue paper, you know, wrapped in um, good tidings with a bow. Um, The ultimate Christmas present is the gift of the presence of the living God, Jesus the Christ, Emmanuel, God, who is with us. There is no greater hope in all the world than to hear God say, I am with you. There is no greater hope in all the world than to hear God say, I am with you. That's the way it was meant to be. Like literally in the beginning, God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. God was literally with them, personally present. I mean, imagine that for a moment. Imagine knowing without a doubt that being with you, walking around with you, mattered to God. Imagine knowing without question that God placed such value on you that he chose to be with you. Now imagine that Adam and Eve exchanged that reality, walking around with God, for a lie. They exchanged the personal an intimate reality of an ever-present relationship with God for the false hope of being more than they were ever created to be, gods themselves. It was the worst exchange we ever made. Like, if you think about today being like a gift exchange day, like not like where we exchange gifts with each other, but where you go back and you exchange all that stuff that people gave you that you didn't really want. Like, a lot of people are doing that today. Today's a, a big day for exchange, like, like literally exchanging the gifts you received for other stuff. Well, the worst exchange we ever made um, was the exchange made of the truth for lies in the Garden of Eden. We're still living with the regret of that particular gift exchange. But God did not sulk off like we might if a person rejected us or our gift. No, 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 no. God knew our needs And he understood that to meet those needs, he would ultimately have to exchange his own righteousness, the life of his own son, for our redemption. That in order to be with us again, in order for us to be with him again, Jesus would have to come. He is Emmanuel, God with us. 
So as we look back over the season of Advent, this period of time through which we have recently passed, a time when we were preparing our hearts and minds you know, to receive the perfect presence of Christ, breaking into the imperfect, dark, current reality of our lives. I'm hoping that um, we thought a little bit about the gifts that we would give to others and the gifts that we have received from God. So I thought today, um, in, in terms of the gift exchange, exchanging of gifts that you might be doing, you know, taking back the stuff that you don't want, I thought maybe we would consider for a moment the exchanges that Jesus made on our behalf. Consider that Jesus exchanges all the glory of heaven where angels, you know, like tended to him. Consider that Jesus exchanged all the glory of heaven to be born into the cold cruelty of our human condition. He exchanged all the glory of heaven to be born into a time when God's own people were the subjects of others. He exchanged all the glory of heaven to live in a place where there was literally no room for him, into a family where there were few resources, into a generation that loved the darkness more than they wanted the light. Jesus exchanged his glory for our humanity in order that one day we might exchange our humanity for his glory. That's the Christmas gift exchange. Jesus exchanges his eternal, imperishable nature for flesh and blood that breaks and spills and aches and dies in order that we might exchange this temporal for the eternal, that we might exchange these mortal bodies for immortality. That's the Christmas gift exchange. Consider that Jesus exchanges his lordship in the kingdom of heaven to be subject to the principalities of this world in order that we might exchange the kingdoms of this world for the kingdom of heaven. That's the Christmas gift exchange. Consider that Jesus exchanges his perfection for our imperfection. Not for our, I mean, he doesn't become sinful, but he does take on our sin taking into himself our brokenness, our shame. Why? In order that we might exchange all that we are for all that he is, that his blood shed upon the cross might be exchanged for ours. That's the Christmas gift exchange. We'll continue this conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Oh, my soul, you are not alone. Okay, so we're considering today uh, who Jesus is. Who is this Jesus who has arrived in human flesh, born to a mother named Mary, to uh, a man named Joseph who has stepped into his life as a surrogate dad, because Jesus' own Father is the God and Father of us all, God in heaven himself. All of that happened by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the grace of God. Why? That the, that the 
righteousness of Jesus might ultimately be exchanged. And that we might, because of his act of sacrifice upon the cross, we might have a restored relationship with God. And that not only would we experience God with us, Emmanuel, but that we would get to be in the presence of God again as well. Like that is extraordinary. That's the exchange that is made possible by the coming of Christ on a day we call Christmas. So who is this Jesus who has arrived in human flesh? Who, who is this? I, um, I like to turn on this day um, to Colossians chapter 1. So this is one of my like post, well, I say post-Christmas practices, but this actually is the season of Christmas. There's 12 days of Christmas, not just one. We'll talk more about that tomorrow. Um, but in Colossians 1, we are reminded of this reality. And for those of you who you know don't really know much about Jesus yet, this is an extraordinary passage where you get to know a lot about him. So Colossians is a letter um, in the New Testament that the Apostle Paul and an apostle is simply a person who is um, who is leading into the ministry of Christ in a unique and exceptional way. They were, they were the first generation of Christians. We call them apostles. You might also hear them referred to um, in terms of the original group of them as the disciples. So um, Colossians is a letter that Paul was writing uh, or had written to um, a church. And so in it, he's reminding them of who Jesus is. And we actually... This is probably an early, like, creedal statement. Like, this would be something that, you know, groups of Christians would stand up and uh, maybe not stand up. I mean, I, that's, that's me giving a cultural projection onto what happened in the context of worship in the first generation. Um, but the people of God, you know, were reminding one another of the truths of who Jesus is. So here it is from Colossians chapter 1. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. By Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy." God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ Jesus and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So if you've been wondering, who is that baby that arrived in that manger? Who, who is this King of kings and Lord of lords? Who, who is this baby that Angels came to announce, and wise men traveled more than a thousand miles over months to visit. Who is this miraculous infant born of a virgin? Who, who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus who was such a threat that, um, that the Roman governor sent a legion of soldiers to kill all the boys in the town of Bethlehem, below the age of two. Who, who, uh, who is this Jesus who was such a threat as an infant? Well, this is who he is. He's the image of the invisible God. 
He's coexistent with the Father. He was present at creation. He made everything that is. He rules over all. One day, one day, every knee is going to bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's who this baby is. That's who we're talking about. That's what Christmas is about. We call it the incarnation, when the eternal God took on human flesh to dwell among us as Emmanuel, God with us. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul affirms here in Colossians 1. God was pleased through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things. Well, why did everything need to be reconciled to God? Because everything fell apart in what we call the fall. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 3. When you look around today and you say this is not the way things are supposed to be, why is everything so broken? Why is there so much pain? Why is there death? The answers to all of those questions go all the way back to the fall, the point in time when we as people decided, hmm, not sure that God really has uh, told us the truth, not really sure that God is going to give us all the best. Maybe we could get it for ourselves. And in desiring to be God, We gave up the right to be with God. It was a terrible exchange. But because of the exchange made on Christmas, where Jesus took on human flesh to dwell among us, full of grace and truth, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the one and only Son of the Father, because of that exchange, another exchange is made possible. And that's the exchange that takes place on the cross. So although there is this amazing exchange that takes place at Christmas, Christmas is really pointing forward to something we call Easter. Well, Good Friday and then Easter. And so when we think about the exchanges that Jesus made, the radical reality that the very real God broke into human history in such a way that he could not be ignored, that you have to respond to him. You don't have to respond in faith, but you have to respond. People can't deny Christ. Well, I guess people can deny Christ, but they can't ignore him. All right, here's my my list of exchanges for us to consider today on this 27th of December. Jesus exchanged his dignity for our humanity. He exchanged his perfection for our flaws. He exchanged his eternal nature for our perishable one. He exchanged his holiness for our brokenness. Jesus exchanged his honor for our shame. Jesus exchanged his rightful place that we might be made righteous through him. Jesus exchanged his throne for our cross. Jesus exchanged his life that we might have one, bought back, redeemed, forgiven, and freed. And yet in all of that, in all of that, this is extraordinary. Jesus never once became anything less than fully God, perfectly holy, full of grace, and full of truth. That is amazing. That is amazing. So I think the question before each and every one of us, 
during this Christmas season is is the question of the exchange that Jesus came from heaven to earth and from earth to the cross and the cross to the grave and the grave to the sky to offer to each and every one of us. Jesus wants to make an exchange. And the question before us is, will we do that? Will we make the exchange that Jesus was born and lived and died and rose again to make possible? Will we give him our life as he has given his for us? Indeed, he was the natal king who came to die that we might live. There's more next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for including me on this Monday after Christmas. Well, early in the midst of Christmas, right? These are the 12 days of Christmas, and we are continuing to celebrate the good news of great joy that is for all people. So how are you unwrapping the gift of Jesus today? What does that look like? In my life, I am still unwrapping Christmas with parts of the family that didn't have an opportunity to get together over the weekend. And so we're going to be doing that throughout this week and actually into next weekend. What about you? Are there still people who you might engage with on the Christmas message and reality? Might you still unwrap Jesus with somebody who might be curious about the things of the faith? Like, right, this is a really good time of year to talk about Jesus, because even if people are only thinking about Christmas— Well, Christ is the most essential part of that. All right, next up, I'm going to be uh, sharing with you a conversation that I had with Lee Strobel. This is one of those best of shows. Lee and I are going to talk about his book, The Case for Heaven. And if you haven't thought much about what happens after this life, well, Lee's going to get you thinking. Thanks for joining us on this special edition of Mornings with Carmen. Joining us uh, is Lee Strobel. You already know him. He's an author. He's a journalist. Um, he is heading up an apologetics effort uh, in in the world. And he brings us um, a real gift today, and that is his new book, The Case for Heaven. Lee, welcome back. Well, thank you. Great to be with you again. It's wonderful to have you. So I would uh, I would appreciate if you would simply tell us the story, two stories, actually. The Saturday yeah. afternoon that you lost your friend Bart and... Mm-hmm the um the reality of your own brush with death yeah i was a, a kid uh, i don't know about 11 10 11 years old and uh, my friend bart and his brother and i were playing on a playground on a saturday and at, at, at a um, uh, elementary school and then at the end of the day we had to go home so i got on my bike and headed south he got in his bike with his brother and headed west but his foot slipped off the pedal of the bike and he went into an intersection and was hit by a truck and he was killed. He died in his brother's arms. And, uh, you know, back then in the 1960s, uh, they didn't send counselors into schools to deal with uh, kids who were wrestling with issues that rise from something like this. Uh, we just had to kind of wrestle with it. And it, it was my first real brush with someone I knew who died. And it got me thinking about these things. And then 10 years ago, 
Uh, I almost died. Uh, my wife found me unconscious on the bedroom floor. She called the paramedics. I woke up in the emergency room, and the doctor looked down at me and said, uh, you're one step away from a coma, two steps away from dying. And then I went unconscious again. I, I had an unusual medical condition called hyponatremia, uh, which was a severe drop in my blood sodium level. And um, so I hovered there between life and death for a while until the doctors were able to save my life. And it's a very clarifying experience, you know, to be close to death. It, it really, um, it really clarifies uh, what do I really believe? You know, I was a Christian. I, I, I believed what the Bible teaches about the afterlife. But then, you know, even at, at those moments, you have questions like, well, yeah, but is it realistic? Does it make sense? Is it consistent with science? And uh, that was kind of the seed that eventually resulted in my new book, The Case for Heaven. And that's uh, particular, in particular what I really appreciate, Lee, because it, it actually matters less what I believe. Mm. It matters what is true. Yes, exactly. And, there's a big I difference. Mean, it, there's a huge difference between, you know, what I might imagine whimsically about what happens after we die and the truth of the matter. And yes. so I want to talk about that because you really present you know, what you discovered, these independent reasons for believing what the Bible claims to be true about both heaven yes. and hell. So maybe just reinforce that for folks. Like, it, are there good independent reasons for believing what we believe? There really are. Um, and, and I was really quite amazed by it. Um, one of the big areas I investigated, uh, it, it was the area of science and near-death experiences. And I went in as a skeptic of this. I thought, okay, near-death experience, that's kind of a new-agey thing. Well, I found there are 900 uh, scholarly articles published in scientific and medical journals on this topic over the last 40 years. This is a very well-researched topic. And what I looked for was corroboration. How do I know that these people really had experiences where their consciousness continued to live on after their clinical death? And, uh, and I found numerous cases that I cite in my book um, of, of cases where people saw things or heard things after they were clinically dead, um, where their, their consciousness, their spirit, their soul survived the clinical death of their physical bodies. All right. Let's, um, let's tell one of those stories. And I want you to tell sure. the story about the person who's physically blind, but I want to tell people yeah. um, who are listening, hey, we do have copies from Zondervan to give away today. And so if you want to enter the drawing for the copies of Lee Strobel's The Case for Heaven we're giving away today, just text the word book to 877-933-2484. All right, Lee, the near-death experience that you did some research on um, yes. of the person who is blind. Yes, uh, there's actually 20, 21 cases of people who are blind, most of them since birth. Uh, who were able to see during their near-death experience. And the example I give is Vicki, who was in a car accident. She was uh, um, uh, clinically dead, and yet she said, I was actually alive the whole time. My consciousness was alive, and I was able to see. She said, I was able to watch the resuscitation efforts. I saw people for the first time. I saw trees. I mm. saw birds and flowers. And then, and then when her spirit returned to her body and she was revived, she was blind again. And a medical researcher said, this is medically impossible. Um, and yet we have numerous cases like this, um, which I believe are corroborative that indeed, um, when we die, our consciousness, our spirit survives our clinical death. And this is what uh, Apostle Paul said, that uh, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. Um, Jesus told the repentant criminal on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. 
So that means that there are two phases to heaven. The first phase is when we die, we our consciousness separates from our physical body, and we go to be with Jesus in, in paradise or apart from him in Hades. And then ultimately, at the end of history, when Jesus returns, then we're reunited with our resurrected bodies. Uh, then we go through final judgment, and then we spend eternity in a very physical place, uh, whether heaven or hell. So um, this is very corroborative of the biblical teaching that indeed um, neuroscience is telling us that these near-death experiences are real. In fact, The Lancet, the great uh, medical journal in England, carried an article that said that all of the alternative explanations that try to explain away near-death experiences fall short. None of them are able to explain them all away. So this is this was really surprising to me. And and so encouraging because well, yes. it, it's so encouraging. These stories are so encouraging. The book is The Case for Heaven. Lee Strobel is the author. I want to encourage you to um, visit with Lee online at leestrobel.com. Um, we, when we come back from a very brief break, I'm, I'm going to ask Lee what he learned about reincarnation, why he has two chapters on hell in the book. Um, well, and eventually what he wants on his tombstone. Yep, because we're all going to die. All right. This is a conversation about death, but it's a conversation about life eternal life. It's a conversation about the case for heaven. We'll be right back. All right, we're talking with Lee Strobel. Um, We are talking today about his new book, The Case for Heaven. Um, I also want you to check out what's happening at Colorado Christian University, where Lee is heading up the Lee Strobel Center for Evangelism and Applied Apologetics. You can find more information about Lee and all he's up to at LeeStrobel.com. Lee, let's talk about what you um, what you discovered in your investigation and your research on the topic of reincarnation. Yeah, there are millions of people that believe that. We work off our karma from our bad karma from previous lifetimes over a succession of lifetimes. And it's actually, there's a lot of misconceptions about uh, reincarnation. People think, oh, yeah, yeah, you just, you live through a bunch of lifetimes and then you end up in nirvana or heaven. No, nirvana is described as what's left after you blow out a candle. It's, It's the extinguishing of yourself. That's the goal of reincarnation is you are extinguished forever. Um, so that's a, a typical uh, misunderstanding. The, the other thing is reincarnation is actually the absolute antithesis of Christianity. And, and why I say that is because Christianity is the only world religion that's based on grace. We can't earn our way to God by trying by being really good people. It's a free gift of grace that we receive. Um, and um, yet reincarnation says not only do you have to work your way to God, you can't even do it in one lifetime. You've got to do it in a hundred or a thousand or ten thousand lifetimes, and then maybe you won't be good enough. And so it is the complete antithesis of Christianity. Besides which, if if I'm in this lifetime and I'm going through suffering, and people say, "Oh, you're just working off your bad karma from a previous life," how fair is that? I don't know what I did in my previous life. How do I know what I did wrong? How can I improve? Um, mm. So there's a lot of internal inconsistencies. There's also a um, Um, disincentive to help people and and give charity because if someone is suffering, well, golly, you don't want to help them because that's going to short circuit their working off of their bad karma. So the best thing you can do is let them suffer. Uh, Whereas Christianity says, you know, reach out, help people who are suffering. So uh, I just found it that it didn't have internal consistency. 
And uh, and I don't think it's very livable. It doesn't make sense to me that I would be working off bad karma that I don't even know what I did in a previous life. So you have two chapters on hell in a book on heaven. Um, yeah. I understand why you have two chapters on hell, but but why don't you talk about that? Yeah, I just felt like if I'm going to do a book on the afterlife, I've I've got to deal with the question of what about what about hell? And we talk about near death experiences. About 23 percent of people have hellish experiences um, when they're out of body experience. Um, so, um, and there's been a lot of aberrant teachings about hell in recent years, especially among younger pastors. Uh, one of them, universalism, that we're all saved in the end. Adolf Hitler is going to spend eternity with us in heaven. Um, and then uh, the other one that's, I don't think, quite as serious, but it's become very common, is a teaching called annihilationism, which means that those who are unrepentant, um, instead of spending conscious eternity in hell, uh, are snuffed out of existence at the time of their death or shortly thereafter. And uh, John Stott, the famous evangelical leader of the 20th century, embraced this before he died. Um, and so I, I consider it a secondary issue. I don't think it's a heresy necessarily. But um, And frankly, one of my surprises in my investigation, you can build a very good biblical case for annihilationism. The problem is, in my opinion, it falls short. It's, it's not good enough. And uh, But I spell out the arguments on both sides. In fact, I was interviewed by a reporter for a secular publication, and he told me, he confided to me and said, by the way, I'm an annihilationist. Thank you for telling our story and for mm. accurately presenting our side of things. I said, I understand you don't buy into it, that you believe it falls short. I get it. But thank you for telling our case. So I try to do that because I think it's important. Uh, there's a lot of pastors out there who are secret annihilationists. They're afraid they're going to lose their job if they... Um, come out of the closet, so to speak, and say I'm an annihilationist. Um, and they very well might in certain denominations. But, you know, I consider it a secondary issue. And, and, and again, I, I just don't believe it's, it's sufficiently supported by Scripture uh, for us to embrace it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, Lee, let's, um, uh, let's talk about a couple of other things. I, I wish we had like two hours to talk. <clears throat> um, because there's a question that I think you and I, as responsible Christians, need to sort of publicly ask and answer. Okay, if if heaven is real and hell mm -hmm. is real, mm -hmm. how do I get to heaven and how do I avoid going to hell? Yeah, and you know that, the thing about that is the Bible's very clear. Um, uh, it, it talks about God's offer of grace. The, the biblical teaching is that we're sinners; we've all fallen short of God's uh, commands and the way He wants us to live our lives. I think we'd all admit that. Um, and yet Jesus, God in his love, wants us to spend eternity with him. So he sent his son, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, who went to the cross to pay the penalty we deserved for the crimes that we've committed and the, the, the sins that we've committed. And he offers forgiveness and eternal life as a free gift of his grace. Um, you know, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. In other words, what we deserve, what we've earned um, from, our, from our sin is death, which is separation from God for eternity. That's hell. But then the rest of the verse says uh, the free gift, free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so, um, you know, anybody, anywhere, in any culture, at any time that turns to the one true God, I believe, um, based on verses in, in Hebrews and, and Jeremiah, uh, God will find a way to help them um, um, uh, come to the point of, of deciding, do they want to receive this free gift or not? 
And that's the ultimate question. And so if you're listening right now and you're saying to yourself, I, um, I, I want to go to heaven and I've never, I've never done this business with God. I've never turned to mm-hmm. him and acknowledged yeah. the reality of my sin and, and acknowledged the reality of the free gift of his grace in Jesus. There's nothing that Lee and I want more today than for you to, um, on your knees, you know, it doesn't it, actually, the posture doesn't matter. What matters is, um, the posture of your heart before God and just saying, I, I want to spend eternity with you. And I recognize that Jesus is how I get to do that. So we just invite you to um, to receive that good gift yeah. of, of God's grace today. So, Lee, yeah. um, um, understanding what is after this life affects dramatically mm. how we understand and live the life we have here and now. So why don't you address yes. that? Yeah. I mean, this did for me, this investigation I did, which took several years, uh, really deepened my faith. And it gave me confidence, you know. I interviewed Luis Palau, the great evangelist, um, shortly before he died. He knew he was dying, and um, I I spent the day with him. And I have a chapter in my book describing that conversation because he knew he was headed for heaven shortly. And he even talked about, here's this great evangelist that shared Jesus with a billion people in his lifetime, and he started to have doubts at the end of his life. Am I going to heaven or not? And uh, Satan tends to whisper in your ears at times like that. And uh, um, and yet the Bible says in First um, John, it says, uh, these things are written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order you may know that you have eternal life. God doesn't want you in a sense of confusion or, or uh, anxiety about where you stand with him and where you're going after you die. It says we can know. And I think part of knowing is, um, is doing the research and, and seeing that, you know, the biblical teaching really does match up with science, with history, with philosophy, with theology. It makes sense. And that's what I hope my book does in people's lives. You know, we're coming out of this pandemic, and, and um, so many people, 29% of Americans either lost a family member or a friend to COVID. Um, my brother died at the beginning of the, of mm. the pandemic. Uh, so um, people are asking questions. Well, what, you know, it's brought death into our conversation. My wife and I were having lunch recently, and the waitress was about 18 years old, and she started to cry. And we said, what's wrong? And she said, oh, I'm sorry. I almost didn't come into work today. We just lost a family member to COVID. And I thought, here's a young woman, 18 years old. I never thought about death before. She's 18. She's got her whole life ahead of her. But now death has come knocking on her family's door. Now she's got questions. Now she's got anxiety. Now she's got apprehension. And I just want to say we can get beyond that. And and we can have confidence that um, when we close our eyes for the last time in this world, we'll open them in the presence of God forever. The book is The Case for Heaven. Lee Strobel is the author. Um, One final question before we let you go. this is going to be like a Halloween exercise for our family. But what uh, what do you want to see written on your tombstone? Oh, golly. I, I think something along the lines of um, he dragged as many people to heaven with him as he could. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Lee Strobel, as always, thank you so much. You guys can find Lee at LeeStrobel.com. All right. We got to leave it right there. Lee, thank you so much. We'll be thank right back. Thank you, Carmen. God bless. might be a little strange to think about talking about death and heaven in this season when we are celebrating the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but let's keep in mind that Jesus was born in order that Jesus might die. 
And I know that that might seem like crazily like morbid this time of year when we are, you know, still worshiping at the cradle manger throne of our Lord and Savior. But it's not crazy at all. It's actually the perspective that we should have on the coming of the Christ. All right. It is uh, very nearly the end of the year. And a lot of people wait to the end of the year to give to ministries that have blessed them and they want to support in the year to come. And so we want to invite you uh, to do some year-end giving right now at MyFaithRadio.com. Maybe you are uh, one of like the large percentage of people that wait until the very end of the year to give um, to ministries that you support. Well, the end of the year is here. And so now is your time. And we would love to include you uh, in those who have been supportive of this ministry in 2021. So if you're in a position to do so, we'd love for you to visit with us at MyFaithRadio.com and donate here at the year end. I also want to say thank you to each and every one of you who has been a part of the Giving Family this year. It's really been an extraordinary year of being able to say yes to the new opportunities that God has presented to us because you have been so great in your giving and so gracious in your generosity. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Coming up in the second hour today, we've got conversations with David Zach and Alfonso Espinoza. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.